Welcome to Jalopy Madness, a podcast about everything cars, with your hosts, Andrew, Max, and Nick. We go fast and we break shit, but we can't fix it. So, it's easier for us to talk about it. Hey, everyone. Uh, welcome to Jalopy Madness, episode four. It's your boys. We're back to talk about cars because we have nothing better to do. So oh, no. we're going to start off with the weekly news. Um, I got something that I thought was pretty cool. So I'm sure everybody knows about all the shit show that's going on in Texas right now um, with the crazy winter storms and everything freezing over. Um, so I thought this was pretty amazing. Ford um, has started sending uh, their trucks to just communities in need. They've just made their dealers send F-150s and F-250s and all that over to act as power generators for people's homes um, while uh, while they're dealing with the with the storms. That's right. Oh, my God. I remember. Yeah, now. <laughs> I thought you were talking about something else. <laughs> that's cool. There's pictures of it. They're like powering their whole house with the car. Yeah, it, it, it's pretty incredible. It's just, you know. Obviously, we're not going to get into the politics of it, but it's just cool to see <laughs> a manufacturer, uh, you know, just helping people out and just doing generally a good thing for the community. Yeah. Do you think that because of this, there might yeah. be some further, like, I don't know, innovations for more cars and more manufacturers to have a car power a house in the future in case of the an emergency? Uh, well, Lucid Motors does that already. Well, Lucid Motors does it. Does Tesla? Te- I know Tesla has the power box or whatever, the house box. Oh yeah, they have their uh, their whole solar system. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it would be cool if if you know they integrated some way to I don't know have some survival aspect of of the car for your house. I'm not sure. Um, I don't know if we'll really see anything like that come out from other manufacturers. Yeah. I think it kind of, I, I think we'll see kind of potentially like being able to use your vehicle as a generator with like companies like Chevy and Ford and GM, all those guys. Yeah. yeah. Um, just because cool. their trucks are kind of designed to be able to do that. But most, most manufacturers really aren't into that whole off-road wilderness kind of shit. So yeah, that's true. I be cool if it did though of course well they could do it because like i don't know lucid's car you can charge other cars with that car Mm -hmm. so so maybe it could be something like that i mean it's a possibility we could see something different just with all the electric cars coming out yeah but kind of with the more traditional manufacturers i don't know how possible it is theoretically and like in a a dystopian world where everything's kind of screwed up. Are you taking <laughs> so an electric car? Yeah. Are you taking an electric car, gas car, or a diesel car? Oh, that's tough. Like not the specific like, models, how, but just like what drivetrain? How apocalyptic are we talking? You know, I, I don't <laughs> like, know. Like, is it The Walking Dead or is it like Cyberpunk? Let's say The Walking Dead, essentially. Okay. So. Mm. It'll probably be a gas-powered car because, like, obviously, the there's no power infrastructure in place for an electric car. So, how are you going to charge it? I mean, if the, it might be shitty gas, but you can find gas somewhere. 
Yeah, but gas expires. Yeah, but you can just throw yeah, alcohol but... in it. It'll run. Sure. It'll work. <laughs> <laughs> or, or coke. I feel like diesel's the way because not only is there a large amount of diesel you can get, but you can also, if you change all the filters and you're smart enough, maybe you buy a book how to create biodiesel, you'd be set. It's true. You could essentially make biodiesel out yeah. of anything. I guess. So. Okay, I'm changing diesel now. <laughs> diesel BMW. <laughs> <laughs> no, diesel Datsun, right. dude. That sounds cool. No. Yes. No. No. You need to go get that for. I think there's a. Sh- there's a diesel Mustang. To, I think their name's Boosted Boys, but they have a Datsun and they put mm-hmm. a four cylinder um, Ford diesel in it, and it's pretty badass. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's pretty cool. It is pretty badass. It's pretty sick. It's probably cool, but no, I don't approve. I approve. Uh, uh, when it comes to engines, I'm like somewhat of a purist with the Datsun. It's like it's got to have like a six cylinder or a four cylinder gasoline engine. That's Why it. Four though, it never came with a four. I feel like it's six or bus because even because with the four mm-hmm. cylinders, they sit far back enough to where it converts the car from front engine to front mid engine. Mm-hmm. And so it really helps out with the weight balance. Mm. Uh, so speaking of engines, I know I, I get a lot of people mm. like even when they look at my car, be like, oh, you have a V4. And, you know, I'm a nice guy, so I'm not like you're stupid. Nicer than me. Huh? Oh, yeah. You're nicer than me. You know, I'm like, I think <laughs> Andrew one time said V4. <laughs> of course. Shame. Shame. But. Um, just to go over the, like what kind of engines and, you know, different, I don't know, uh, configurations of cylinders and pistons and all, mm-hmm. we can kind of go over that real quick just to kind of enlighten some people. Yeah. Wait, before that, I have something sure. crazy. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> okay. So, you know, the Ford Bronco had a yeah. recall, right? On their sport. No, okay. I didn't, but I'm not Do you surprised. know what the recall was for? <laughs> What? You know what it was? Can I say so recall? Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> the rear, <laughs> the rear suspension was not secured to the frame. Oh, they just forget the, the engineer some bolts. <laughs> yeah, that is like <laughs> the biggest of yikes. So I guess like to keep on this right? topic real quick too. Will the Bronco ever be able to compete with the Jeep? Mm. Mm. Well, it does have a button that locks up the back wheel so you can do donuts. I mean, that's cool. But how does that help it compete with the Jeep? I don't know. It's not <laughs> as cool. It gives it that cool factor. So so one, we'll yeah. do quarter yeah. point for the, the Bronco right there. It does donuts. Does it have more features than I think the it Jeep? It has more options. I'm I, like, they're not even out yet. I don't know how, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like Legos, um, mm-hmm. like how easy it is to swap everything out. Cause I know you can order them to be different from the factory, which is kind of cool. Like if you want just like bar doors, like chassis, right. like roll cage style doors, you can get that from the factory. 
But and just in terms oh, of cool. like just creating a culture with the Bronco, I don't know if it's going to work. I feel like they've been out of the game too long that the Jeep's the way to go. It always has been. And then second place, I feel like you got the the Cherokees, like the older Cherokees, and then maybe um some Toyotas, some RAV4s and and all. Yeah. I don't know. They all I know is they have work to <laughs> if do. If they want to compete, they really need to step up their game and just blow Jeep and Toyota. Everybody who's in that off-road segment out yeah. of the water right out the gate. Because if they don't, mm-hmm. they're nope. Well, they're off to a great start with missing screws. Yeah. So <laughs> they're off to a great start, guys. Maybe they can put in that like 2012 live rear axle from the Mustangs in there. That'd be cool. I think maybe that's what they're doing. Yeah. So do you what engine does the maybe. Bronco come with? To get back on the engine topic, it's probably going to come with mm. an EcoBoost V6. Knowing them, I think there's different options. It's a V6. Actually. I feel like it'd be a four banger. Uh, would it... Um, Andrew, are you looking it up? Yeah, I imagine it'd be a V6 EcoBoost just because they've been trying to. Oh, move it's a away. 2.3 liter EcoBoost is the base model. Oh, so it's a four cylinder. Hmm. Same engine as the Mustang EcoBoost. So yeah. essentially, but the Sport is a 1.5 oh. liter. The Sport, the Sport's basically like the Jeep Renegade. I don't count that as a car, mm-hmm. as an off-roading car. <laughs> I feel like that's like okay for reference. A Jeep Renegade uses the same chassis as a Fiat 500 XL, and you should never take that thing off-roading. Oh. Maybe like hiking, like you can go park it to a spot and then stop. But that's not off-roading. No. I took my Honda off-roading. Well, it's a Honda. Hondas can do anything. I've taken my BMW off-roading before. Really? I'm not even joking on that either. Like, obviously it wasn't like a... Is it before or after bags? Way after bags. Like, obviously it wasn't, it wasn't um, like rock calling or some shit. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I I, oh. uh, I was going somewhere and I didn't know there was a uh, no road, so I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm going on the grass." And I just drove over some hills and shit. <laughs> did you did you lift <laughs> it like from your? You lift oh yeah, dude. I, I maxed out. I maxed out the bag, oh. so I was like three inches higher than right or than uh, stock height. Oh okay, cool. Oh, see, no, I don't have that option. <laughs> Well, then we, Andrew, we drove through farmlands and like we drove up hills and rocks and stuff. Andrew's um, car lifestyle is if sparks don't fly, your ride's too high, essentially. But mm-hmm. his car is two inches higher than it needs to be because sparks aren't flying at the moment. Listen here, buddy. If you Let's... ain't tucking, we ain't fucking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got tuck on my <laughs> car, so I guess we're good to go, Max. Mine I'm talking wheel for tuck, sure. not tire tuck. Oh, wheel tuck. Oops. Oh. Mine's close. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. His is pretty close. In the back. His, 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 quarter, yeah, his quarter panel is like, I want to say like a quarter inch above his wheel. So that's yeah. like a third of an inch too high. Yeah. 
essentially. Um, <laughs> getting back on topic. Um, so engines, they're good and they're bad. Um, engines, they, so they make what, cars go vroom, vroom and go. Yeah. And things. <laughs> Right. So talking about just combustion engines, there's a lot going on there. So like, what's the difference between, you know, the straight line, the flat, the V, the W? Okay. What's the difference? So when it comes to engine designs, those are kind of like the, the biggest like main differences. So there's uh, four configurations that are generally used in a car. So first you have inline, also known as a straight. It's basically where the cylinders are put just literally in a straight line, straight row. And so this is like inline fours, inline sixes, like what a lot of Hondas, BMWs, all those guys use. Um, Essentially every car manufacturer has an inline configuration engine in their lineup. Yeah. They're easy to produce. Um, They're fairly comfortable for an everyday car. And it's just kind of an easy, easy way to design an engine. Not too much goes into it compared to other ones. Well, I feel like for the inline, there is a lot for the inline four, at least there's a lot of things that got to work around because they have to incorporate the balance shafts. So like if you were to do, yeah, I mean, inline six, inline sixes are typically the best balance engines because their pistons when they and they're i don't even know how to describe that and they're stroke so when the pistons yeah yeah and, and they're stroke they have the last ones going up at the same time these ones go down at the same time and then the ones two closest to each other are going at the same time so essentially the engine is always balanced in perfect balance yeah see so when you're okay. which is it's like part of sorry so <laughs> it's part of why bmws are uh like always so like quote unquote quiet is because the way the engine uh fires everything stays in like that perfect balance so you get like little vibrations and all that there's very rare cases of four cylinders being balanced but one of them is going to be the the boxer engine so you'll see that in porsche subaru and volkswagens and so essentially they're doing the same thing, but they're opposing pistons. So you got two pistons going this way and two pistons going that way, and they inherently balance each other out. Yeah. That's kind of a different configuration in its entirety, though. Yeah. So yeah, flat boxer engines. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, essentially the pistons are horizontal as opposed to vertical and just go back and forth, back and forth. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, Subaru and Porsche are really the only people who utilize boxer engines. Yeah, so the boxer engine was is really, really like it's it's an old engine. The design of it is old school, um, but it works, man. They still use it to this day. And you know what? Maintenance on boxer engines, well, general maintenance, is super easy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, changing out spark plugs. Suck. So is that the easiest engine? Uh, is that the easiest engine to work on out of the four? No. Um, honestly, an inline is probably the easiest. Yeah. An inline mounted transversely, meaning that it pretty much means that it's rear wheel drive so that the engine's not um, sideways is probably the easiest thing to work mm-hmm. on. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And then 
I don't know, the V engine so, configuration? Is that just so with the V engine? Uh, so like with these with these engine orientations in general, um, it's all determined by how the pistons are laid out. So like they're in line because the pistons are literally in a line. They're a boxer or mm-hmm. a flat because the pistons make a flat row. Um, with the right. V, the uh, the pistons literally form a V with the stroke. Um, so this is kind of something that's become a little bit more popular in manufacturers just because it's, uh, it's more compact. It takes up less space in the cars. So this is something you'll see. Do you get see. better gas mileage with that one or no? Uh, they can. With V8s? Um, no, just V configuration. Um, no. <laughs> Which one gets the best? Is if it you can find an in, it's probably just a, a four banger. The only reason none of none of the configurations I feel like really play into your gas mileage in terms of just how much gas it consumes. So if you have four cylinders, you're going to have to have four cylinders that need gas. If you have eight, you have double the amount of gas needed. Right. If you have, and it also depends on how much gas you need to combust in in that cylinder. So. So when you think about liters, like, so for Dodge, their scat pack, 6.4 liter, probably takes mm-hmm. more gas than a Ford 5 liter. They're both V8s. And that's the size of the, that's the size that's of the, the pistons, size, right? That's the added size of um, each cylinder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then so, put in so the displacement. The size, when they say like, oh, it's a 6.4 liter, basically what that means is that at any given moment, the the engine is moving six point four liters worth of air throughout the engine, so it all comes to the engine displacement. Yeah, and so essentially, the displacement okay. is just how big is your stroke, so how far does the piston travel up and down, and how wide is it? How big is the bore? Mm-hmm. So, like you can see, like mm-hmm. uh, Audi is Audi's V ten a five liter? Um, it's a 5.2 liter, I think. Yeah. I think it's five. Yeah, it's 5.2. So 5.2 is a V10. So their pistons are probably like, like this big, tiny little pistons. Now you're moving on to like a 6.4 liter 392 scat pack. That piston's probably about this big. That's crazy. <laughs> so it the the science behind it's really cool because you can re- like if you're an engine manufacturer or an engine engineer, and they give you free reign, man, you can make some crazy things. Yeah. You can just you can pretty you can pretty much make whatever you want depending how much money a company or a person is willing to throw at it. I mean, they even have uh, going back to configurations. They have a W configuration engine where it's essentially like two V sixes that are strapped together. Yeah, so, um, so it's like they're pretty sick. Go ahead, Max. So uh who is it? Um the Bugatti, the Veyron, or Bugatti in general, mm-hmm. they've always used W16s. So it's essentially like two VH strapped together. So on the outside ends, you have uh four cylinders on each side going up and down. And then in the center, you have like eight cylinders uh going at the same time. So there's actually two just, configurations for the W engine. So that's the the older one. So you that basically makes a W. So you got cylinders here, cylinders here, and cylinders here. Right? The newer W16s are what they call Siamese cylinders, Siamese opposed cylinders. 
So let's say you got a V8, right? And then you put a smaller V8 in that V8. So it still makes a V. And this is oh, so it's two Vs. Yeah. So it, and it they all power one That's crankshaft. Um, so a car that uses this one, or it might be the W12, but still W configuration is a Bentley. And I think you just had that one up on your screen. It was a new Bentley Continental GT. That one came out in 2017. Yep. So if you were to look up that engine, mm-hmm. um, and we'll go ahead and put up a picture of that engine configuration on the screen. Yeah. Um, it's the engineering into that thing is is crazy. And when you think about um just power efficiency mm-hmm. let's say you have every every configuration can reach 500 horsepower the 500 horsepower in a w12 yeah. is going to feel so much smoother than it would in a four-cylinder why why so the reason being is because every piston is moving up and down right right so every time it strokes, it's spinning that crankshaft. Right. And so since you have so many more pistons spinning that crankshaft, you're getting a power stroke every 16th of a revolution. Mm. Now, in, in a four-cylinder, you're getting a power stroke every quarter of a revolution. So that just right. translates oh, that on how much power you're putting down per revolution so it's just going to be smoother with the more pistons you have that's why ferraris just feel so smooth so they mm. really figured out that balance point of how much you know how much power and how many revolutions it takes to get to that power interesting okay that was cute um, so <laughs> <laughs> So engines and then so between the cylinders, what's like the main difference? It's just how many actually. So uh, there, well, there's a few differences when it comes to the cylinders. Um, so obviously you have the actual number of cylinders, which right. plays a big role in the engine. Like generally you won't see like a V4 or a V3. I mean, I don't even think there's ever been a V3 or ever will be. No. Um, but there's also you kind of have there's a, the uh, stroke of the engine. So like you'll see in like motorcycle engines, like twin engines, they're they're two stroke a lot of times. Um, not on like the uh, like Harleys and stuff, but on like dirt bikes and stuff. Because it's just a I don't know a ton about it, but it's just like a from what I understand, easier to manufacture, less complicated. Um. And then so so essentially in typical. every engine there's four strokes, right? So you got mm-hmm. your so each stroke has a function. So the first one when that piston pulls down, it's sucking in air, right? Mm-hmm. Sucking in air and gas. Mm-hmm. Then it's going back up, essentially compressing all of it, and then it explodes. Mm-hmm. That's your power stroke, and that when that explosion happens, boom! Right, it pushes that piston down, which is pushing the crank. So you have four strokes. So got to go up, get your air, come back down, compress it, explode, power stroke, right? Now with um, two-stroke cylinders, it cuts it in half. So it's just bringing in air, boom. So it only needs 
two strokes and up and a down to make power compared to four, which is what we see in regular everyday cars is four strokes. But the two stroke, what, what's crazy about it is you have to actually combine gas and oil in it for it to work. Mm-hmm. So that's why dirt bikes smoke a lot. You got a lot of white smoke. Do you know why? That's because they, they have, have the oil mixed in with the gas. So it's. Is there a reason for the oil? It's because it's a two stroke. Um, so with the four stroke, uh, in in the stroke, the uh, everything stays lubricated through the oil mm. in the engine. And with the two stroke engine, the, mm. there just aren't like the oil passages and everything to allow the oil to properly flow. So it gets uh, mixed into the gas to help keep everything running smoothly. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So, for power wise, people are probably going to say more cylinders is better. Is that true? Sometimes. Um, Just like straight engine, no, after any other stuff. Yeah, if you're going all engine, um, the bigger the better. So, the, even then, the adage is there's no replacement for displacement. So, if you're going all motor build, get the biggest fucking motor you can buy and put a big fucking cam in it. And you will be so happy. But even then, there's exceptions to that. I mean, there's, I mean, I've seen in the Honda community a lot, there's people who do like drag builds with like that are all motor and they have like, uh, like H series and K series engines that are like four cylinders making 400, 500 horsepower. Um, so while I agree, mm-hmm. there's, there's no replacement for displacement when it comes to, uh, all motor. Um, yeah. It, it, it's kind of like, it's kind of like everything with cars. It's how much money do you really want to spend? Yep. A V8, if you're looking for all motor, a V8 will always be your most cost efficient engine per pa- for horsepower. Especially if you're going domestic. I mean, we're in the US. I mean, there is endless mods in terms of camp specifications for Chevys, Fords, Dodge, better flowing CFM heads, um, better flowing headers. There's literally Mm -hmm. a billion options if you go domestic V8. Now, when you're going, you know, Japanese V8, your options are a little limited. You don't have as much much players, much um, choices. Yeah, um, especially here in the States, you have so much domestic support from the manufacturers for your... uh, Mm -hmm. For your V8s and stuff, like uh, Ford sells the whole Cobra Jet package, which basically converts your uh, <laughs> your 5.0 into a drag racing engine. And, like that's I from know. Ford. So yeah, and then Dodge does the same thing with they have the Helifant motor. You can just buy the Helifant motor, or which makes a thousand horsepower, a thousand foot pounds of torque. Um, out the box, out the box. You just buy it, put it in. That's so crazy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Um, well, back to the horsepower war. Andrew's happy. He's excited. Yeah. He's like a thousand horsepower. But yeah. but um, <laughs> if you decide to boost your engine, though, you decide to go turbo, supercharger, or both. Um, mm-hmm. your your options are much wider, and it's really more. Um, what kind of engine do you want specifically, as opposed to best uh, bang for buck? So, for people that don't know, what's the main difference between? turbo and supercharger and what's the difference between like what is boost okay so um 
a turbo is essentially a turbine. And basically what happens is the exhaust gas goes out the engine. It spins the turbine. And then Mm -hmm. the turbine that gets spun by the exhaust gas also spins a turbine, a secondary turbine that sucks in air. And it basically creates a... Through your intake. Yeah. It creates a positive air pressure that forces air into the cylinders, uh, greatly increasing the power. Mm-hmm. And so that's a turbo. And a supercharged does uh, the same thing in terms of forcing air into the uh, into the cylinders. It just does it in a different way. Mm-hmm. It does it uh, through a pulley system. So it's powered by like the crank of the engine. Right. And it's like a screw so that forces air into the engine. Be. There's two different... There's t- two main different kinds of superchargers. You have a root style blower, which is kind of like the old school basic kind of blower. And then you've got the twin scroll. And the twin scroll is typically what they put in newer cars. Centrifugal. Oh, and then there's yeah, centrifugal cool. too. Centrifugal yeah. does kind of look like a turbo, but it's still mounted to the crankshaft, which makes it... The, the centrifugal is essentially like a belt-driven turbo. Yeah. Well, they're all belt-driven. Well, yeah, I guess they're all basically belt-driven turbos. I guess superchargers are at least. Mm-hmm. I always thought that was interesting that uh, turbos are only used in airplanes and not superchargers. Well, turbos are more efficient, based on yeah, yeah. But, uh, superchargers rob some power from the engine in order to make the power. In in my expertise i guess which i don't have a whole lot of i'd rather have a supercharger just like turbos are cool you get the turbo noises but if you're talking about simplicity bang for buck torque you want the supercharger but you do lose a little power though yeah but you make up for it in torque man you get no lag you get zero turbo lag you're you're essentially how much is the turbo How much is the lag usually? You can adjust it depending on how big your turbo is. Yeah. So when it comes to turbos, it is all in your setup. So like, let's say you go really, really tiny twin turbos, like what the BMW N54 has. There's no lag. Like the lag is so minute that most people won't even be able to tell it's there. But then let's Mm -hmm. say you go like a big, like precision. I think that's like a 6266. You're probably not going to spool until like... 4k 4500 rpms so it's all it's all in your setup when we went to driver mod andrew i think you went with me and there's that one dude with a black rx7 and his turbo Mm -hmm. was bigger than his rotor his rotor engine (laughs) which we didn't talk about rotor engines but we'll we'll maybe talk about them a little later um he said he doesn't spool until around 5500 rpms so essentially what you're feeling is Corolla, 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 Corolla. Race car. What the fuck? Yeah. Like, that's essentially what you're experiencing in that car. And I mean, trying to manage that too, like going from like 210 horsepower to 550 in a split second is, I'm pretty sure it's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah. It's well, scary. yeah. And you're, well, I was just going to say, since you're like, at so high RPM already, you're going to have to yeah. shift too. So you have to manage your shift. You have to manage your 
<laughs> your tire's not spinning out. You have to manage your fucking neck. <laughs> like, it's, <laughs> it's a lot yeah. to deal with. It is. So what's cool about a supercharger is – so even what Max was saying, let's say you get a, a twin turbo setup with a small turbo and a bigger turbo. So you essentially don't feel the lag. Or let's say you do a twin mm-hmm. scroll like with the Hyundai Veloster the new one has. Yeah. Sounds pretty um, it good. It sounds good, right? Yeah. It's pretty cool. But your torque curve and your horsepower curve is going to go like this. It's going to act like an NA curve, right? Now you get a – so, you know, gradually going up, going up, going up. Now you get a supercharger. You're just – well, your horsepower is still going to go up, but your torque literally starts up and goes flat. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, I think that's, that's more badass and more usable on the street because you can actually learn the car. And True. you're just starting off with well, like you get 500 the fucking foot-pounds of torque, like the second, like from zero to three miles an hour. <laughs> That's true. Then you get the turbo wine because yeah, of all well, the air. I mean, have you guys heard the Hellcat wind? Yeah. Well, that's their signature. Oh, dude, they're beautiful. <laughs> so, to me, that noise is cooler than an occasional blow-off sometimes. I think it's cool. I think they're, they're both pretty cool. cool. It just all depends on your preference, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm an NA guy, so I'm not even... Obviously, I'll do turbos and superchargers and stuff, but my ideal engine is like a fully built like NA motor that just revs to the fucking moon. That's why like the E92 so, M3 and the GT350 yeah. are like my favorite cars because Interesting. they're V8s that rev to like 8, 8.5K. Like so out of the box. talking about... Right. So, like talking about revving, what would you like? What do you put in the engine, or what is has to be done to rev higher? Um, everything. So there's, yeah, pretty much everything. So, um, the easiest way to uh, get an engine to rev higher, um, is with a proper tune because a lot of times, the red line that you're that is put on your car from the factory is lower than what the engine can actually handle just for the safety of the engine. So like it's really common on the E92 M3s is when they get tuned, um, the Mm -hmm. tune usually lets you rev from 8K to like 8,500. Same thing for Um, the Prelude. I mean, I I can tune mine to rev up to like 8,200, but I'm cool with it at 75. (laughs) When you're tuning it to do that, like, what are you changing? So it depends on what kind of engine you have. So on most V8s, the power drop off because of their design drops off right about at 6,500 RPMs. It it drops off about Mm -hmm. 6,250. So there's really no need to rev higher. The engine, the, the based off of those old school style V8s, which they still use today, is the the valves and stuff can't keep up with with everything so you have to cut it off right there the only way that you would be able mm-hmm. to increase it is if you go ahead and do a complete rework and make everything stronger make the the valve springs stiffer and then even then you still have to worry about whether or not they're going to fly off yeah so that's what's um, cool about the coyote engine or not the coyote what is it the voodoo it's the voodoo engine right the voodoo yeah it's a mm-hmm. overhead cam v8 which eliminates mm-hmm. push rods With coyote is too well yeah so is a coyote um well chevy and dodge still use push rod engines 
So essentially you have... I didn't know Dodge was still pushrod. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've been pushrod their entire lifespan. They've never had an overhead valve or overhead cam V8, unfortunately. But... So what? what is that? You can explain it, Max, if you want. Like a pushrod. Uh, you probably know pushrods better than me. Okay, so to keep it in... To keep it basic... So there's two kinds of engines. Mm-hmm. You got overhead valve, which means you got the valves right on on top of the head, or you have overhead cam, which means you have a cam on top of the head. So essentially, there's going to be in an old school style V8 like Dodge and Chevy, you're going to have the cam yeah. smack dab in the middle, and it's going to be pushing a tappet, which is like just this little metal cylinder it's tiny that pushes a pushing rod Mm -hmm. through the engine that pushes a rocker arm that opens and closes your valve right and the valve is which lets in the air air and gas now with overhead cam Mm -hmm. you just put a belt to the cam which is on top of the head and that opens and closes the valves so you're reducing Mm -hmm. how many components are you eliminating three is it three you got the tappet, the push uh, rod, and the rocker arm. You get rid of three I things. So. Yeah. So now you can rev higher. You have less things to worry about. You don't have to worry about your tappet getting seized. You don't have to worry about mm-hmm. your push rod snapping. And you don't have to worry about your rocker arms getting loose. You just put the, the thing on top and add a belt to it, yeah. and that's it. So that's why you just can't have, the, just belt can't have the belt break. But if it breaks, <laughs> you just get a new belt. You don't have to open up the engine mm-hmm. and change the tappet valves and push rods. That's true. As long as the belt. So all the modern engines have the belt? Yeah, they usually have the modern engines have the belt. Belt or a chain. I, I mean, it, it, it all depends. Chain, chains are better than a What's belt. What's more but... common? Is it? I think the belts are more common, but I, yeah. chains are better. Because a lot of them nowadays use a V-band. And a V-band basically mm-hmm. is just one belt that connects everything. If, oh. Yeah. Okay, so it just you know, makes it so, more efficient. So going back mm-hmm. to getting an engine to rev higher, um, you, you usually got to do everything. But, it, I mean, it really depends on the engine. So, like, one thing I'm learning with the K24 with my Datsun swap is um, – the K24 is actually like capable of like 10K RPM with like an all stock engine. Mm-hmm. And the thing that holds it back is the oiling system. So like you got to upgrade the mm-hmm. oil pumps and everything in the bottom of the engine to, to get it to rev higher. But uh, other than that, I mean, out the box, it can, it can do 10K. Yeah. That's crazy. So, like safely? Or is it just like... Sorry? Like you can safely get 10k every time, or yeah. you have to like, you only get like. Five you got to do a complete rework though. So I mean, you got to change yeah. the the valve springs. You got to change the cams. You have to change essentially everything. But yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, that's the bare essential. That's like what absolutely needs to be done to do it safely. But obviously, if you're gonna build an engine for 10k, you want to build it all at once. Yeah. And- right. Well, if we're talking about revving, like so. For F1 cars, what, like, is there, like, a difference from a normal engine? Because I know they oh, yeah. use normal They're, engines. They are different in every way, shape, and form. So, like, so first off, F1 engines rev, redline at, like, 20K. Mm, they redline yeah. at 12 now. <laughs> um, oh, do they? Yeah. Really? 
Oh, Love and hate. <laughs> um, but so Nick can correct me on this if I'm wrong. Uh-huh. But from what I understand, like your normal like car piston, like let's say it's can you see? Yeah, it's like this big. Um, an F1 piston is going to be like this. They're a lot bigger, which is why they're able to make so much more power. They're actually a smaller configuration. They're, I think, let me Google it real quick. Cool. I'll just go fuck myself then. Aren't they the size of like a normal, like, no, four I think their V6 is a 1.6 liter? Jesus. Oh, damn. That's crazy. Maybe I'm thinking of the old yeah. school F1 engines. I think you are thinking of the old school ones because mm-hmm. the old school <laughs> ones are like that. And again, so because of the new regulations, and they're saying that F1 needs to be more fuel efficient. And F1s, you know, contributing to the mass, like global warming problem because they're revving too high and burning too much gas. So they said, hey, reduce the red line, <laughs> reduce the amount of cylinders. And that's stupid. Um, but you're still pulling. You're still G's. pulling hella G's. A lot of F, dude. <sighs> what's um the what is it the aerial atom? Dude, like that thing's low key. Like, yeah, so it's a 1.6 liter engine, uh, six cylinder. They're, They're small, tiny, right? dude. Like the engine size itself. They're 1.6 liters. So we're talking about liters earlier and how, you know, the Audi V10 or 5.2 liter. The Audi V10 is a 5.2 liter. Now you're yeah, thinking right. F1 car, man, it's got to be more than that, right? No, it's it's way less than that. It's 1.6 liter. So, I'll, do you know what the engine in NASCAR they use? Uh, I think they just use V8s, dude. They just, I think NASCAR yeah, they only okay. get like 500 horsepower, and it's just an old school 500. A lot of them use push rod. They had way more than that. Uh, I mean, you can correct me. You can look it up real quick. I think because they're uh, so bare minimal, they can hit 200 miles an hour. It's like just a seat and some wires in there. But in an F1 oh car, the is difference is, is how high it can rev. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they have 850 horsepower V8s. Okay. But oh, cool. they rev to like 9,200. Okay. That that thing has to be hard to manage. I'm sure that thing's a complete brute yeah. compared to an F1 they're, car. They're actually pretty sketchy. So um, when I was younger, <laughs> I got to do one of those NASCAR experiences. Oh, cool. Where they let you like drive one of them around the oval for a few laps. Yeah. Dude, it is so fucking sketchy. I bet. So in order to keep them handling properly and keep them turning at the speeds that they turn in, they actually put wider tires on the driver's side than the passenger side. Mm. So you're always fighting the car to keep it like going where you want it to go. Yeah. So hmm. that's crazy. Um, the F1 car, yeah, they're like tiny little pistons. What? What the main difference is in engineering explained. Have you guys watched him? Mm-hmm. He's super cool. He he goes in depth comparing yeah. the Type R engine to Honda's Formula One engine, and goes to say essentially mm-hmm. they're almost the exact same. So what's the how difference high then? It revs and how much gas mm-hmm. they put into it when it revs that high. So essentially, if you were and I mean how reliable it is. I mean the type the Type R engine is supposed to last how long? A lifetime? Two hundred thousand yeah. miles? Yeah, like two hundred thousand yeah. miles. F one car. Yeah. It's 
across the race. Well, I mean, a few races, but <laughs> but essentially, yeah, like it's, it's not designed for reliability. I mean, they try to, but it's it's no. designed to to get some some wins and be faster mm-hmm. than the other car, right? And so, I mean, F one cars, it's so hard to go in depth to explain, but there's small engines. There's just so much that goes into that it. Rev really high, mm-hmm. and because that they rev so high. They they can make more power. They've been just engineered to make more power at at those higher RPMs. I just I love the sound of a high revving engine. There's just it's so unique. Every time you hear it, like S T C nine k RPM from the uh, the S two thousand. The flat plane crank the Voodoo at eighty five hundred. Thing sounds insane. Lexus LFA. And, uh, Oh God, yeah! <laughs> Arguably the best. They all have their unique sounds of all time. Yeah, it sounds it pretty solid. Eleven K. Damn, that's essentially so, talking F1 about car. sounds. Yeah, so like, out of all the cylinders, what is the best cylinder sound that you can get? That is like that you think is the best sound. There. That is so subjective. I know. Because <laughs> um, like a lot of some people say the five cylinder sounds cool because it's unique. Nick, you go first. But others I, I like the V six. Um, I mean, I, I like the Viper. I like the V ten sound. To me, that's a beautiful sound. Um, dude, they all cars sound good except the five liter Mustang. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. They're all right. They're you know they're they're cool. I turn my head when I hear them go by. Dude, every, dude, if your car sounds loud, I, I have respect for it. As long as it's not some fucking like, I don't know, dude, like some Kia Spectra with straight pipes. Like if you have a Kia, well, I don't want to be mean, but I'll leave it at that. It's okay. Don't, don't straight pipe your Kia Spectra or Kia Seed, please. If you're going to modify your car, just do it tastefully. Is yeah. the big thing. Yeah. Um, but- or get a muffler or something. Okay, so Andrew, what's your favorite sounding engine car? I like V6. What? Like the VQ? Like the 350 V6? Mm, I think it sounds good, but I like, I don't know. The V6 or or V8? I just like, I like them deep. Oh, yeah. Like deep sounding. (laughs) Phrasing. children. I like it deep. Um, <laughs> I don't know. This is hard for me yeah. because <laughs> I like most like car sounds, uh, most uh, exhausts. I mean, for me, it's not really like one particular engine. It's more uh, just a brand. I really like the way BMW engines sound. Of course. Um, well, it's not even because I'm a BMW <laughs> guy. They just they have such unique sounding engines. Like if you mm-hmm. hear the E60 M5, which has a V10 in it, uh, you'll never hear another V10 that sounds the same. The the uh, the S65, the engine, the V8 from the M3. It because it's such a tiny engine for V8. It's only four liters. Mm-hmm. It sounds right. so unique at like 8k RPMs. So that's for me. It's always mm. been like that mid two thousands generation of BMWs have been like my favorite sounding cars. I also love rotaries. Rotaries are cool too. 
dude, there was this RX-7, right? I, I don't know if I was going to pick up Andrew at the airport or Raul or somebody. And dude, this guy was just chilling with his RX-7 FD in the under the underpass at the airport. And it was making the whole oh place <laughs> like loud Like, fuck, dude. Like, Jesus <laughs> Christ. And then all the cops started walking up to him and he fucking took off and went to the other side. Kept playing tag with them. It was cool. <laughs> They're like, turn off your car. I don't think anybody, I don't think he could hear anybody. Good. That's yeah, nuts. right. At that point. Hey, hey, hey. So there's the cylinders. Do we know the difference in pistons from the flat dish and dome I, and their damage? I know the basic differences. So um basically a flat top piston is kind of what you're traditionally gonna find in an engine. It's kind of the it's easy, a classic. Yeah. It's like the easiest to manufacture. Um it's kind of the most efficient for the cost Mm -hmm. um so it's just kind of what you'll typically find now a dish piston um from what i understand uh is easier to is more commonly used on turbocharged or uh boosted engines because when you boost a car you want a lower compression ratio um and so it's got a section that's cut out and essentially divoted in to the uh to the piston to help lower that compression ratio a little mm. bit. And then uh I don't know a fucking thing about dome pistons. So dome pistons essentially are if you think of so I grew up an old school Mopar guy. So our yeah. cream de la Cray, if that's how you say it, is a 426 Hemi. And so essentially that's a thick boy. It is, man. It's Um, there's rumors from the factory that didn't even make 425 horsepower from the factory it made 515 in 1968 jesus right Um, but essentially it's the opposite of a dish piston so instead of it dishing in it uh, we we can show a picture of it but it's um like a dome so it rolls forward and so essentially the reason why they do that is do that is to get a better swirl on the gas and air mixture which provides a bigger boom Mm -hmm. and that's essentially all it is Mm -hmm. so um chevy actually uses dome pistons now um dodge really doesn't even the hemi i don't think the hemi is actually a dome piston anymore i think it's flat is there is there an advantage over one or the other? It just depends on your setup. So, like, if you have a turbo, you're going to want to go with that dish one just so you have better reliability and efficiency. If you're going naturally aspirated, a dome piston is the way to go. And if you just, you know, if you got a little Honda Civic, you probably have a flat piston. Right. Um, Could you put a turbo on a flat piston or a dome? Yeah, if you want it to explode. Yeah, you, you could. could. It's, it just depends it's on not the, gonna be the most efficient. Ratio. I'm not sure if there okay. is. I mean, if your compression ratio is low enough to yeah, have a so dome piston and a turbo, I'm, I'm not sure what outcome mm-hmm. you would get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wouldn't know. Um, flat piston safe. I mean, you can pretty much put a flat piston in anything. That's true. So camshafts 
they're what top middle engine it depends in the engine yeah. so like if you're on a push rod engine like an ls um it's a single cam that's actually in the center of the engine mm-hmm. and uh most modern engines have over have dual overhead cams so instead of like one big cam like an ls has they'll have two small cams on each cylinder head one that controls the exhaust valves and one that controls the intake valves um and so changing those out as long as you have the uh the right tuning is actually a pretty good way to make power right and that's why you may hear an ls just like loping like no tomorrow just bloop 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 those are usually guys that replace the cam with a a really high performance one so if you're replacing the cam to make that type of sound, mm-hmm. what are you changing on the cam? Is it so the, the metal cam? So picture like a like so they're called lobes. Picture a Dorito, right? <laughs> this, well, like a, a rounded In a line, a bunch oh, of Doritos. Yeah. Well, depending on how many valves. So if you have a sixteen valve engine, you'd have sixteen yeah. lobes, sixteen Doritos. So think of it like a Dorito. But a rounded off Dorito. And basically, the bigger that is, the longer your valve is open for. So, the longer your valve is open for, the more gas you get in your engine, gas and air. And that's what makes right. more power. That's it. All it is is basically all the cam is doing is controlling how long your valves are open for. That's all it is. So if you get a bigger cam, so, essentially, and there's different uh-huh. durations. So they'll say duration at 50 or whatever. Basically, the duration, all it's saying is how long is it open for? And how Interesting. How long is it traveling? Like what distance? How wide is it opening? And how long does it stay that open? Do you know how big the, the new Supras is? Because I know that one itself can like re- handle a thousand horsepower. Uh, no, I, and so the handling the power too doesn't even really depend on the cam because that one has forced induction. <laughs> you can just force air mm-hmm. into it instead of you know trying to get the uh-huh. valve to be open longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Sorry, it, I heard something. <laughs> um. So I'm not sure what that cam is, but it should have four cams. Okay. There's also um, variable cams like the Hondas. I know the K series, the H series is one. And so essentially it has two different Essentially what the VTEC is. Yeah. And BMW had it with Vanus and everybody who has VVTi essentially has it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what does it do differently than a normal one? So uh, essentially... The the cams have two profiles for like every like intake and exhaust port or valve. Mm-hmm. And uh oh, we're losing Nick. Okay. So so basically yeah. um what happens is the cams are set up to have two profiles. So that way uh you know at low RPMs when you're driving normally, you get more yeah. fuel efficiency. And then okay. um like when you floor it and you get on it or you go over like a certain RPM, then the uh Right. The variable valve timing kicks in and it engages the um, larger profile on the cam to so, give you better performance. Okay. So like in terms of Doritos, 
What's the difference? So for we're still talking about VTech. Yeah, I just explained yeah. kind of the basics of how it works. Yeah. He explained it good. Cool. But like for like a super like dumbed down version, like just thinking yeah. Doritos that we use, what's the like so what's the difference just in that? Big Dorito, like, right? That's actually moving the valve up and down. And then you got a little one that isn't doing all right, let's say you have a bigger one that's okay. Let me redo it because I, I screwed it up right there. So let's say you have <laughs> I said a big one first. So let's say you have a little Dorito that's spinning the and opening and closing the valves. And you have a big one that's not yeah. doing anything, right? Well, when mm-hmm. there's a sensor in your car that manages the oil pressure, um, that manages your oxygen, and when all of that's perfect, it'll actually move those lobes, those Doritos, and move them to where the little one isn't doing anything and the big one is. And when the big one is, your valves are bringing in more air and more gas, which is giving you more power. And that happens in a split second just happens almost instantly that's why when you have that that vtech memes or whatever where all of a sudden it kicks in it's cool it's exciting it's you're going from this you know boring engine to you know a performance one and it's basically you're getting two in one interesting so it kind of slides yeah Mm -hmm. two okay okay and then for people that don't know, what is a crankshaft compared to the camshaft? Because so the different. crankshaft is connected to the pistons, and that's what's actually spinning your transmission, which is giving you power to your wheels, right? So mm-hmm. essentially, you're, that's the thing that you see on the trucks. That long thing. That's the drive shaft. That yeah. So the, oh, drive, the drive shaft, shaft yeah. is connected to the transmission, which is connected to the crankshaft. So okay. essentially, yeah, I mean, it's the camshaft. All it is is controlling the uh, opening and closing in the valves and the crankshaft is connecting the pistons together, which is spinning mm-hmm. to get power to your wheels. Yeah, it's what so transfers you, the force from the pistons to your transmission and thereby your wheel. Mm-hmm. So you need a crankshaft. No matter what engine you have, you're you're gonna have a crankshaft. I think rotaries too, right? Rotaries have a crankshaft. They have to. So rotaries so, have an eccentric shaft yeah. instead. But it basically is the same thing. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So like since you've brought it up a few times, what is a rotary engine compared okay. to the other ones we were talking about? Okay. I'm excited. I love rotaries. They're one of my favorite <laughs> engines. Okay. So a rotary is like a it's still a combustion engine, but it's just fundamentally different than a traditional engine. So traditional engines, you know, they have pistons and uh, they're, they're piston-based. So what a rotary is, is it's a very simplified version of a, uh, of a combustion engine that uses rotors instead of pistons. So think mm-hmm. of like a pinched oval, okay? And that's like the block. And then you have the rotor, which uh, they're shaped like triangles. That's why they call them Doritos. And they spin. And uh, at certain points in that oval, they um, they essentially contact the block and create uh, like compression and do the combustion cycles and everything. So I think they're considered like a three-stroke engine. I'm not 100% sure on that. No, they're still, but uh, yeah, you might be right. Um, let's see. So you got, so in each corner it's doing something. 
Yeah. So so there's three sides to the triangle. Mm-hmm. So on that first mm-hmm. pass where it's getting air and gas, it's it's getting the air and gas. Yeah, it's it sucks this, in the air and gas, and then it hits the next one where you have the combustion. And then on the third right. one, there's like a secondary combustion to burn off any extra fuel, mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as and then does it again the uh, the exhaust for it. So yeah, I guess you can say three stroke, even though it's not stroke. Yeah. So so it's literally a Dorito spinning inside of an oval, and they're shooting air and yeah. gas yeah. at it yeah. every time it turns. They're they're really simple. So in the U.S., we only we got the 12A and the 13B which are both two rotor engines and part of what uh, allows them to rev so high is that they're really simple engines. So like on a two rotor, there's only three moving components inside the engine, the two rotors and the eccentric shaft, which is like the rotaries version of a crankshaft. Yeah. And, and yeah, the interesting. rotaries, I mean, you have what the apex seals that go out on them. Is that pretty much? It? Yeah. So, so generally, that's the main thing that goes out on them is the apex seals, which are basically the seals that go on the end of the uh, each end of the rotor, the tips of the triangle, and that's what. Yeah, and that's what okay. kind of blocks uh, blocks off each section from each other as it's going through its cycles. But they rotaries are very interesting because they. There's a lot of misconceptions that they're really unreliable engines, which mm-hmm. they can be. But a lot of the unreliability kind of stems from people not understanding how to maintain them because they're, they're very temperamental motors. So like you have to premix oil into the gas just like you would with like a, a two-stroke motorcycle. Um, mm-hmm. As well as you need to check the oil pretty regularly. But like one of the big things is and I mean, you can even ask this from any Mazda dealer since they're the only ones who've ever really made a rotary engine. Um, redline. You have to redline them like probably once every time you drive them to keep them healthy. Because what redlining does is it blows out all the carbon buildup inside the engine. But interesting. They have a really unique sound, they rev to the moon. So, like, it's pretty common to see crazy. Uh, rotaries that are, like, built to, like, 10, 12K RPM red lines. Hmm. And uh, you make a ton of power with them, too. Um, literally hmm. just by, like, slapping on another rotor. So, hmm. you can, like, let's say you want to... Uh, you want to make it a, a four rotor, you can just add more housings, add yeah. more rotors, and boom, you have a four rotor. Hmm. Obviously, there's a little bit more work that goes into it than that, but that's like the basics right. of it. Okay. Okay, and then I guess the last thing that we haven't talked about yet is the engine block materials that it's made out of because I know a lot of people switch them out because they end up shooting a piston through it um what so what are like the basic ones that your car comes with and then to the high performance ones you really only have two there's yeah. there's more you you have there, there's like titanium blocks but unless you're a millionaire you're mm-hmm. not gonna get one of those you either got cast yeah. iron they're super expensive you got cast iron or you got aluminum 
And mm-hmm. you can still find them around the same price point. But the block material almost doesn't matter. What matters, at least what from what I understand, because I have an open deck H22 and it breaks my heart that it's an open deck, is whether or not <laughs> that deck is open or closed. And so essentially what a, what the deck is, so let's say you have the engine apart, you have the cylinder walls, right? That's where the piston travels up and down inside the cylinder mm-hmm. wall. Well, sometimes around that cylinder wall, it's hollow. The whole all around it is hollow to better cool the engine, mm-hmm. right? The problem with that is so for people um, that just another visual, it's all the holes that are at no, the top. it's the holes around the cylinder. It's literally yeah, hollow around yeah. the cylinder, yeah. the piston. Yeah. So okay. you just have the pistons in these sleeves that are going up and down and there's nothing supporting it so let's say you're making a whole bunch of power if that sleeve gets too hot and moves you're fucked you're warped and your engine's done right the cool thing about the 2jz and i think the bmws i know some of them are open deck i'm not the i'm not sure which ones i'm sure the n54 is closed deck Sure. Yeah, the M54 is an open deck. Oh, is it? Oh, well, the 2J, for example, 2J and 1J, they are mm-hmm. solid. They're just one, they're heavy, like we were talking about earlier, but they are heavy blocks, but because they're so stout and because they're closed deck and they have so much support around the cylinder walls, you can boost that thing to the moon. Like, like you can just throw as much freaking boost at it and it's not going to move because it has so much support. So... When it comes to the block material, though, um, mm-hmm. Nick's right. The the whether it's open closed deck is like probably the most important factor. But if you are looking to build like a, just a crazy high horsepower engine, especially if you're going to boost it, you you want to go uh, iron block. It can just it just handles uh, boost a lot better. Not only does so it handle the boost, see, like, but it's the heat too. Yeah, mm-hmm. but so like one thing you'll see is you'll see a lot of LS guys um, replace their aluminum block because an LS is an aluminum block engine with like an LQ or an LM, which is basically the same thing, but uh, made of cast iron. Yeah, it's a lot more weight though. Well, it's a lot heavier, but um, when you're building an engine like that, the the amount of power you can make safely compared to the aluminum block kind of outweighs the actual weight of the block that you're adding i mean and that's true if we're talking block you're maybe talking a difference of like 200 pounds which is a lot right which sounds like a lot but let's say you can boost it more and just make more power with the with the iron block well yeah you make make up the 200 you make it up so essentially what you want you want an iron block for boost but if you're going na you want a closed deck aluminum block um but honestly i don't know i to me i think cast iron's better in all applications you just get more reliability you have less problems with heat spots and dead zones and that's because cast iron doesn't get as hot as aluminum does and when things get hot, they what? They expand, right? And so that's why a yeah. lot of newer cars have pre-detonation problems because they get this hot spot because that part of the cylinder got too hot 
And now whenever you start up the engine, it's always going to be too hot right there. So it'll actually combust before it's supposed to. And then you just have screwed up problems the rest of your, your engine life. So talking about engines, a lot of the new cars now have like auto off and on for the engine. Um, what are they doing to the engine to like cause it that to happen? And is it good for the engine? Um, so as far as it being good for the engine, um, from the, from the things I've seen, uh, it really doesn't make a difference in terms of engine reliability. Uh, the, really the thing that's always needed to be reinforced on those is the starters to handle it. But, uh, as far as I know, it makes no difference to the reliability of the engine. Okay. Except being annoying. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> One of the cool things about the prelude is like, oh, I see like the, on the side, yellow light. Like, you know, I put my clutch in a little bit, rev it up a little bit and psh, tick off. Forget about it with, with the, when your engine shut off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You have to wait. Give it a second, press the gas, it turns on, and then it gives you a little slow start, and then it lets you go. Like, fuck that. But generally, <laughs> now, when, with a lot of the cars, like, if you put them in support mode or so, like, it, it, it deactivates that auto start-stop. It depends yeah. on the car. Yeah. And plus, most cars, you can just turn it off on your own. Yeah, we have to turn it off every time you enter the car. So Is I, it, um, I guess my question with the <laughs> off-and-on switch thing, does it affect... Uh, does it affect your battery? I mean, um, the alternator is going to charge it anyway, but if you're stopped for a long period of time, and let's say you're not too well-versed with cars, do you think it'll just drain the battery to the point to where you're just kind of shit out of luck and can't start your car? Yeah. I don't think so. I don't think so either, but like uh, that would be my only gripe with it. It'd be like... Yeah. I feel like it's going to break the starters though, because like if you're in traffic, and it's just on off on off on off on off the whole time for like hours yeah that's it yeah i can tell you i, I don't know that's california for I you would, if i had one <laughs> i would turn it off so yeah i if i had a car with that i would literally just pull the fuse for it so i don't even have to deal with it yeah oh my goodness <laughs> cool idea so, i'm sure yeah. it saves about uh, two miles per gallon on your tank two miles for your tank yeah so so i have a you question. just put your car in neutral mm. same thing i have a question for you guys the answer is Since Josh this whole... <laughs> shut the fuck up <laughs> uh, so since this whole episode has been about engines and kind of like the basics of, of uh what what is involved with an engine and all that what do you think the most moddable engine is like what is the most tuning friendly engine out there Too jz mm. ls uh, yeah it's between those two to be honest okay so is that like with a certain budget in mind or is that like no budget just say no budget okay so if I say no budget, you can do either of those. So if we're if we're at no budget, I'd say actually the Audi uh, slash Lamborghini V10 is probably the most mod friendly engine out there. 
Why? All, dude, have you seen all the twin turbo kits that they're making nowadays for them? <laughs> they average like 1,100 horsepower. And like <laughs> there are people making like 1,600 horsepower to the wheels with those like before built engine. So obviously not, it's not going to be the most uh, cost efficient for your everyday person. But if we're looking no budget, I'd say it's that. I'm still going LS, dude. I mean, yeah, LS and I don't know. I feel like LS and two J's are two, classic. Two J's, like I feel like the LS is the most. I mean, any any domestic V8 again. I mean, if you can get like a a 360 LA Mopar block, you have a billion cam options, a billion head options, and same thing with the Ford. Honestly, any domestic V8 you can't go wrong with because there's going to be you know, a billion different options for every component of your engine. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure with the Lamborghini, there's a few options, but I'm sure like it's a tune and maybe, I don't know, what, what would you be changing? I wouldn't want to touch a Lamborghini engine, to be honest with you. And I'd be, I'd be afraid. Like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I don't know how much this bolt costs, but it just snapped. Let me go call up Lamborghini. Hey, how much does this bolt cost? Like, that's going to run you $4,000. I'm like, no, just the bolt. Just the bolt. Oh, no. Well, we were talking no budget. That's why I brought it up. Oh, well, that's, well, I mean, there yeah. has to be a budget involved. I mean, if you can, like, you can make a thousand horsepower out of an LS. Yeah. You yeah. get a thousand horsepower with a lot of engines nowadays. Yeah. Even the Hemi, mm-hmm. people are hating on the Hemi for some reason for the longest time. And now people are starting to realize, oh, you can make pretty good power out of the 5.7 Hemi. I'm like, yeah. That's true. You can make you can make power out of anything. Honestly, any any engine is good, but I think domestic V8s are the That's coolest. True. What about Engines. you, Andrew? The 2J? That's what you said. Yeah. Or the LS. Those are my two favorites. 2J. I like the that one and a half swap my E90. Ooh, yeah, those are sick. Those are cool. Or the mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. G series Honda engine. Have you seen that? No. It's mm-hmm. a F20 block with a H22 head and a K series intake with a it's literally <laughs> just Honda. It's a Frankenstein engine. It is. It's pretty cool though. Yeah. It's 500 horsepower, naturally aspirated. That's crazy. I'd say if we're right. going a more budget friendly uh engine. I'd say mm-hmm. N54, honestly. How much can you pick one of those N54? Up? Uh probably like a thousand dollars reject yard. Yeah. Um they're not swap friendly though. While you can make a lot of power in them, they're not mm-hmm. swap friendly. Uh there's just so much with the canvas system and, and all the wiring and ECUs and everything that if you're not swapping it into a BMW chassis that came with that engine or that variant of the engine, you're not gonna have a good time. Uh, but not worth it. Single turbo conversion, E85, you're at a good like 700 to the wheels. And if you convert the block to a closed deck, you're easily at like a thousand to twelve hundred. With like block guards, yeah. is that what you use? Yeah, oh. yeah, because the uh, the engines already like got fully forged pistons and connecting rods and everything. Yeah, I guess like the best uh-huh. modelable engine would be basically something like just combine all the best things that we talked about previously. Yeah, so you'd want mm-hmm. a closed deck, 
or if if you have an open deck, maybe put a block guard in it. But essentially, I mean, get a closed deck with you know if if you're going turbo, get a you know something with a dish piston, or if you're going you know NA, get something with the flat piston or dome piston. And it's up to you, but we basically gave you guys the answers on to pick what fits you guys and what's the most moddable engine. And yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, for just, you know, we all have our own different opinions. So, but the 2J got the closed deck, yep. the domestic V8s have the closed deck, and the N54 needs a block guard. <laughs> yeah. So closed deck, but you can still make a lot of power, which is still cool. True. So I think that wraps up this show, right? Episode four. Yeah. 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 Episode four. Officially (laughs) done. Yes. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We love you. We Mm -hmm. appreciate you. We hope you sleep well at night. Thanks, too. Now, what's your guys' opinion? What's what's the best engine to mod? What is it? Yeah. Let us know what you think. We want to hear from you. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And we'll see you and next time. And if you time. have a straight pipe spectra, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you guys later. 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 Bye.